This is Kathy Rhodes Sargentio, and you are listening to Diary of a Madman. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we geek out about everything Ozzy and Ozzy related. I am Josh Crumb and with me as always is Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? Doing awesome, Josh. How's it going with you, man? Doing good, man. A little bit under the weather, so my throat might sound a little scratchy, a little sniffly, but you know, in true podcast fashion, I'm uh, fighting through it, so we'll, we'll get there. Hey, the show must go on. What's all new with you? Anything? No, I'm still kind of buzzing from last week's episode because I loved the topic we did. You know, it was great to see everybody's response to Ozzy in the 21st century. And quite frankly, it's still all I've been listening to all week. And I just hope we opened up a lot of people's eyes on the brilliance and great material that Ozzy has come up with in the 21st century. Some great stuff in there. I loved your list. You know, of course, I loved my list, but it was great to see some of the listeners out there put their lists some really cool tracks out there. Like I saw a black rain on a few Latimer's mercy on a few. So I love seeing our fans out there digging deep. Absolutely. And when you see a list that has a song that you kind of go, wow, that's shocking. Well, that's what's awesome about that list because that song moved that person more than it did you. That's pretty cool. That's the whole point of the exercise was to stimulate our minds to different songs that we may not listen to as much otherwise. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed it also. I think it went real well. Yeah, for sure. I'm hoping, again, we were able to open people's eyes to some of his later material and getting me more and more in the mood of his new record, which hopefully we get some news on it soon. But we did get some news this week on it, didn't we? That we did. Pretty big news, actually, in our eyes. I mean, to me, this is ground shaking from the standpoint of the new Ozzy album. Do you want to go ahead and go over it with the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So we already know that Jeff Beck Tony Iommi, Eric Clapton, and Zach Wilde are on the record, which is super exciting. Well, Zach Wilde came out this week and said, the new Ozzy stuff is sounding great. And for sure, it's an honor to play on the record with all my heroes. It's pretty cool. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. I've always loved Blow by Blow and Wired, but honestly, every record Jeff Beck has put out is amazing. It definitely sounds slamming. The same goes for all the guys. With Tony Iommi played and then Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck, it's all killer for sure. On those tracks, I'm playing rhythm guitar for my heroes. It's crazy. It sounds awesome, and I'm beyond honored to be doing it. So we don't know what role he's playing, but the key here is where he says on those tracks, which makes me tend to believe he's playing on more than just those songs. That's the impression I had also when I first heard it. Like that, those tracks is the two words that stuck out immediately to me when I read that. And I thought, wow, I think Zach Wilde is going to be playing rhythm guitar for the entire album. Whereas when Ozzy mentioned Zach Ben on the album, I took it as a guest spot for a guitar solo, something like that. But now it sounds like Zach is actually going to be playing guitar on the whole album, which was written by Andrew Watt. Kind of like you said, a down to earth kind of situation where Zach is playing other people's stuff. But you know, the bottom line is this Zach has been with Ozzy for 30 plus years now, off and on. When Zach plays down his tone and his sound, It's going to sound more like a classic Ozzy album instantly. But with other people writing the riffs, I'm kind of excited for that also because it will still have the new flavor that Ordinary Man had just with Ozzy's true classic tone. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're bringing 
a great point. As usual, Josh, you're spot on. Zach is going to make it sound like Zach, right? Which is what we all love. He's going to have the pinch harmonics in there. He's going to make it heavy. He's going to make it grooving. But these riffs that Andrew Watt wrote for Ordinary Man, it's going to be great to see them filtered through Zach. My goal is that there are riffs that Zach can expand on, kind of like what Gus did on Scream. But we know our biggest complaint about modern Ozzy has always been lack of riffs. As much as we love the material and we talked about it last week, I just hope that Andrew Rod has really sat down and wrote some great riffs, you know, like Duff's riff on Eat Me, Straight to Hell's riff that Duff came up with. So that's hoping that this album follows that same vibe. Like you said before in the prior episode when, when we discussed these four guys being on the new record, I think Andrew Watt has listened to the fans. Me and you both record and write albums. We know what it's like when you put something new out and you want you want the honest, true reaction. Sometimes it's not what you want to hear. Sometimes it is what you want to hear. But you want the honest truth. And you're the one nagging complaint about Ordinary Man for most fans was... Where is Zach Wild? So I think reaching out to Zach and having him do all the rhythms is this a stellar idea. And like you said before, that's Andrew Watt putting his ego aside for the best of the album because I do like what they wrote for Ordinary Man. I like I love that album, and you made that clear in our last episode that it was our favorite of those four. But I think having a fresh writer, but with Zach's guitar playing, is is the perfect key to making a great Aussie album at this stage in his career. So I'm totally excited about it. It's over the moon. And we both agree that we do not believe Zach will have a songwriting credit on the record, even though personally I wish he would have written a couple of songs because, you know, Andrew Watts a really good producer. And I think he could have put that filter on to really push Zach to make a great song in the vein of uh, No Rest for the Wicked, Perry Mason, you know, that era of Ozzy. I would have loved Zach to write a few, but I don't think that's the case here, just out of my gut feeling. I do think Zach's going to write whatever guitar solos he may play. I've thought about this. So let's back up a little bit to the beginning of when we first heard about the new Ozzy album. One of the first things we heard, and this came from Andrew Watt, if I'm not mistaken, is there's a lot of epics on this album, right? That's what he said months ago, a lot of epics. Yep, a couple so, eight-minute songs, I think, was what the Ozzy's even said. So if you have Zach Wilde and you're Andrew Watt, when he brought Slash in to play on the song Ordinary Man, what we know is the exact words Andrew Watt said to Slash, November Rain, right? We all agree that the solo he put on Ordinary Man, it doesn't sound like November Rain, but it has that tone of November Rain. Like, let's channel that November Rain sound and let's pull it to this song, right? A hundred percent. And it's a great solo too, by the way. It helps make the song for me. I feel like if Zach Wilde's in a room with Andrew Watt, Watt is saying channel the guitar solo for no more tears we don't want to hear you shred we know zach wild can shred we want no more tears part two we want another one of those for this song i just feel like that's what andrew's gonna try to get out of him so it's exciting it could go anywhere in my mind everyone knows how epic the solo is for no more tears it's one of the greatest solos i mean guitar world always has it listed as top 30 guitar solo of all time in hard rock and this and that sometimes higher i feel like if andrew's in the studio with zach that's what he's trying to get out of zach I totally agree, and I think it is Zach's best solo, by the way, so great call on that one. I would have to say, we already know for a fact that those solos on Down to Earth with Tim Palmer's producer was all Zach. So there is no question, Josh, you're 100% correct. Zach will be coming in and writing his own solos. That's a fact. No way is he not writing his own leads. So great call on that one. Just one more tidbit of news that we have. I mean, the chips are starting to fall, right? 
you know, Ozzy did make the comment that he hasn't heard the album in a long time because other people were away doing their parts. The world we live in now for folks who don't record music, you may not know, but like file sharing with music, you know, you can download songs. It's the same way now with recording. You know, you record in your own studio and they can send you the tracks. For example, they've sent tracks to Tony Iommi all the way over in England. He's recording in his studio, probably with Mike X engineering for him. And then they send it back once it's completed. That's just kind of the way the world is these days. We also discussed that a lot with Gus G on his episode about how he's done a lot of his projects the past few years. We're getting close. We're getting so close. This is going to be the most exciting time for our podcast, too. Now that we're live and Ozzy will be releasing maybe his final studio album. I hope not. But it's going to be so exciting for you and I to break it down. All of these bits of pieces of information that come out. Make sure you're following social media. Make sure you're listening to our podcast because we are going to get every nugget, every detail, and we're going to obsess over it compulsively. So this is the podcast for you for the new Ozzy album whenever it is finally announced. So you just heard us talking about the brand new Ozzy album. This is Josh and Dan back. We wanted to step back in because additional news broke this week and it all started right here with the Ultimate Ozzy podcast. So if you did not follow our social media, you did not get to see, it is 100% confirmed, Zach Wild is officially playing on the whole new Ozzy Osbourne record, which was broken right here by yours truly, Josh Crum. Josh, great news this week. What do you think? Totally exciting, man. I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere. Ozzy released the video for Hellraiser. And I thought, hey, I wonder if he's doing one of those video chats. He does these chats on YouTube leading up to the premiere of the, the, the music videos. He's kind of been doing that lately. So I bopped over to YouTube. And sure enough, there's an Ozzy chat going on. And while everyone else is saying hello from Brazil or whatever you want to say to Ozzy, I was asking the questions that us fans really want to know. And I asked one when can we expect the album release or a new single? And the response was that the album wasn't totally finished yet. They're waiting on some people to do their parts. And then I followed up by asking, does Zach play guitar on the entire album? To which the response from Ozzy's team, which, you know, Ozzy is there, I suppose, giving a, a scribe, telling them what to say into the uh, YouTube chat. And the response was, yes, Zach plays guitar on the entire album. And then they actually followed back up and said Zach was on tour during the Ordinary Man recording, but he was off tour this time, so he was able to do the album. Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing exactly what they said to us yeah, for sure. uh, in the response. But it's totally cool to have Ozzy himself come on you know, YouTube and respond to our website, our post, and answer for us the questions that all the fans want to know. Since then, the news has hit all of the websites. Dan and I are absolutely over-the-moon excited. Loaded Radio was the first ones to put it on their website. You know, we posted this, I think it was Friday morning, probably around 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But then it took till Monday morning for Loaded Radio to pick it up and put it on their website. But after they did that, it's all been a domino effect ever since. But they were the first ones to post it. Yeah, it was exciting to see it on Blabbermouth and on Loudwire, which are the two most viewed websites for hard rock heavy metal there is. So we are over the moon. Great job on this. I think it's huge news in the Aussie world. I also think the one thing that people are overlooking is you also got some great news about the album, that they're still recording some other pieces to finalize the record, which I have no idea what else they're still recording because I know Ozzy's parts are done. So it must be Andrew Watts' production that he's just wanting to add a little nuance here and there to finalize the record. But make no mistake about it, that still does not mean that Zach is doing this alone. We still have Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, and Tony Iommi 
recording on this record. So Zach is probably playing rhythm throughout the whole record. I believe Zach will be playing lead on 80% of it with the songs that those guys don't play. Who knows if Slash comes back? You know, I'm sure Andrew Watts is still going to play a little bit on it, or is he just going to be straight up producer only? Who knows? And when Ozzy says we're still waiting on some of the recordings, that could be other people also. Maybe they got a part that is perfect for this guy, but this guy doesn't have time to record at the moment. So they're giving him, you know, a few weeks to finish up tour to do his part or what, what have you. It could be anything like that. So when he says we still have some recording to do, that's kind of where my mind went. Guest con- uh, contributions that maybe just aren't able to record at the exact moment. They're kind of waiting on a few of them to finish it up. That's my opinion. But, you know, one of the most exciting parts, you just sent this to me, actually, right before we came on to record this, is Zach Wilde has actually now shared the news also. So that's massively exciting for us. All the websites did give us credit for breaking the news, so we definitely appreciate that. A lot of websites will take news like that and print it as their own and not credit the source. So we do appreciate that all of them have credited our website, our social media pages, and our, and our podcast for breaking this news. Now that Zach shared it, man, it's it's really hitting the fan and blowing up, and every, everyone's finding out about our our tasty little Ozzy Osbourne podcast that we run here. That's right, and it is tasty. I love it. Hey, the other thing I I wanted to bring to your attention is we now have three fourths of the Down to Earth lineup playing on this new record. We got Ozzy, Zach, and Robert Trujillo. So the only difference is now we've replaced Michael Borden with Chad Smith and Taylor Hawkins. So it's really awesome that we have three-fourths of the down-to-earth record back. I think it's going to be a live, up-tempo recording. I don't know why I feel like that, but I think this one's going to rock with Zach back in the house. Agree totally. And I love Mike Gordon, but I think we're getting the three-fourths of that that era that I would want back to do a new Aussie record. Taylor Hawkins and Chad Smith. I thought Chad Smith completely knocked it out of the park on Ordinary Man. He's got such an energy in his playing. Taylor, you know, cut from the same cloth, a very similar style and energy. I, I'm so excited about this, man. I think it's gonna. this is really going to turn out to be something special. Agreed. And don't forget, Zach Wilde's Black Label Society's new song drops this week. Yeah, it's called End of Days. As the time we're recording this, it hasn't dropped just yet. But I did hear a preview clip of it. It sounds slamming, real riffy, like you like Dan. I know you like the riffy stuff. Totally excited to hear that one. So, of course, on the next episode, we'll review that song and tell you what we think about that one. Yeah, all is great right now in the Aussie world. A new album coming out, and Ozzy and Zach are back together. It doesn't get any better than that, in my opinion, in the modern world of Ozzy. So make sure you're following social media. We're going to keep harping on it, but as we've proven time and time again, this is where the Aussie news comes first. Speaking of Zach Wilde, do we want to get into this week's topic? Absolutely. So today, and we've promised you we're going to always continually expand our presence in the Aussie universe. Our topic today is ranking all of the Black Label Society records, proper studio albums, in our favorite order. So we're going to start from number 10 and go to one. And we're going to do that in celebration of his new record that's coming out November 26th entitled Doom Crew Inc. So we're definitely here to celebrate the Black Label Society catalog. And I'm super excited to share with you guys, Josh and my opinion on what we think of his Black Label Society records. What about you, Josh? You know, we discuss everything Aussie and Aussie related. Today is the first true episode of Aussie related because, you know, other than having a track on the Blessed Hell Ride, this is an Aussie-less podcast as far as the, the content today. So yeah, totally excited about it. 
I'm curious to see where your list leads to for best Black Label Society album. I know where mine is. I have a clear-cut favorite. And after that, they all kind of do jam together a little because they typically, Zach's pretty consistent. And it's hard to place them in an exact order. But that said, I'm excited to get to it and see where yours fall as opposed to mine. Yeah, for sure. I think I have them in groups. I have a top four that I feel are clearly my four favorite records by him. I have a middle tier, which a couple of them, and then I have the bottom tier. So I'm kind of really comfortable with my compartmentalizing his three tiers for me. But on any given day, those within those tiers, it can change. That's exactly how mine is. Like I have a top tier, a middle tier, and a lower tier. Yeah. And there's two or three albums in each one, maybe four. And it's just getting them where they are in that tier that was the harder part of it for me. So, yeah, kind of the same process for me also. So that said, let's get to it. And and I just want to be clear, this is Black Label Society only, so we will not be adding Book of Shadows 1 and 2, nor the Pride and Glory releases, which someday we'll get into because we love those releases as well. Today, it's only Black Label Society proper releases. There's some Book of Shadows and Pride and Glory battles coming down the road for sure. That's the definite, so we'll hold those for another day. We start off with the first release from Black Label Society, came out in October 98 in Japan, and was released in May of 99 in the U.S., and that would be Sonic Brew with the controversial original cover. They had the Black Label Society whiskey. I have that cover signed by Zach Wilde, actually, along with Zach's thumbprint, because when he signed it and reached it back to me, he put his thumb in the signature and smeared it and <laughs> left a thumbprint, to which he went, oh, shit. And then he reaches it back, and he signs the CD case itself. So I got two Zach autographs out of it, and I take the cover off and put it on my Pride and Glory CD. Then I had two autographed Zach CDs just like that. Bada boom, bada bam. It was awesome. What's your thoughts on Sonic Brew? There's some great stuff on Sonic Brew. So I have the original cover, not signed, of course, but I do have the original version as well. The great thing about Sonic Brew is... You know, he'd released Pride and Glory, which had a little bit more of a Southern flavor, then released Book of Shadows, which was mainly acoustic. Obviously, he's got some electrics in there. So I didn't know what to really expect when Black Label Society came out, and I was just blown away by the heaviness of it. There are some monster riffs. A lot of things you're going to hear me say a lot today is, gosh, it pisses me off that wasn't an Ozzy song, because I sometimes think a lot of these riffs are better than what he was given Ozzy, especially on Black Rain. It's definitely a hell of a great record, Bored to Tears, awesome. It has my very, very favorite Black Label song on it, which is Spoken the Wheel. That song moves me every time I hear it, any version of it. I love it. It's a wonderful melody. The beginning at last, I love the heavy version. It fucking is so jamming. Peddlers of Death is great. It's a really, really great heavy record. It's kind of a mishmash. It has some Southern stuff, some acoustic stuff, and just some balls to the walls metal. My favorite song on it is definitely Low Down. Just always loved that one from the start. I remember the first time I saw Black Label, it was uh, 2000. I was directly in front of Zach Wilde midstage there. And actually, he was, you know, he keeps his foot up on like the monitors and things like that. They had a box there and the box kept sliding. And before the show began, the stagehand had kind of warned me that the box was sliding. So if you don't care when Zach takes his foot off the box, slide it back. So that, I had a chore all night long during that Black Label show to keep Zach's like box up to where his foot would reach it comfortably. So that was kind of neat. But I remember thinking, I hope they play low down. Like that was my whole concern going into that concert and they opened up with it. And it was this fucking epic, which you was know, on the alcohol fuel brutality live. You know, that's the one they opened with on that same tour. So it makes total sense, but love that one. I'm like, you spoke on the wheel, just an absolutely great ballad. I actually prefer the acoustic version that he brought out two years ago or so. Which one do you prefer over the other? As far as those go. 
I like the original Spoken the Wheel by far, but I do like the acoustic version, but Spoken the Wheel, it's my favorite Black Label Society, and that's the version on Sonic Brew. I prefer the acoustic version. I don't know what it is, man. I love the the, the Layla outro, by the way, which was a fucking epic nod to Eric Clapton and uh, Derek and the Dominoes and all that. So I, th- I thought that was great. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Spoken Will also. All the songs you mentioned, Bored to Tears, uh, Beneath the Tree was always one that stood out to me for some reason also. I like that one a whole lot. Beginning at Last... The production was always a little more shitty on that one. I remember, yep. you know, getting the CD when I was 18 years old and bringing it home and putting it in a, I say a boombox, but it was a CD player. It was like a little boombox CD player, you know, and I was never really thrilled. And I think Zach was never thrilled. I believe that's why he re-released it because, you know, the production just kind of wasn't there. So, I, you know, it's been the only issue I ever really had with it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was reading earlier that they even tried to remix it before the original U.S. release, so the release is a little bit different than the Japanese release, because on the Japanese release, the vocals and drums were a little bit buried on some of the songs, so they tweaked that even before they released it in the U.S. and the U.K., so even then, I'm still like shocked that the production just isn't quite up to par on this one, but I think that's a theme for the first couple of uh, Black Label Society records. When Zach released the 20th anniversary edition of this album, you know, uh, a couple years back when we were talking about the acoustic version of Spoke on the Wheel, when they re-recorded that that was kind of an awkward thing. That was not a remaster or a remix. If I'm not mistaken, they lost the original tracks. I think the 20th anniversary was them playing over the album, essentially, and just laying new tracks on it. So the guitars are doubled. Like, you have Zach's original guitar tracks, then you have his new guitar tracks on top of what was already there. I'm pretty sure that's how they actually redid that, because they lost the original tracks. Do you recall any band ever doing that before? Like, you lose the tracks, so therefore, we'll just simply play over the album as it is and just add more guitars to it and stuff. That's that's <laughs> very no. awkward. I've never known anyone wants to do that. No, that's and, definitely different. And totally amazing that it worked. It sounds slamming. I think it sounds way better. It does for sure. And another quick note is Mother Mary, by the way, was originally a Pride and Glory demo. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. All right, up next would be Stronger Than Death, released on April 18th, 2000. So about a year later, another super heavy record. I think he was finding his sound by this time. I feel like some of the Southern style from the first record has gone away by the time he releases Stronger Than Death. Brutally heavy in parts. He even features Mike Piazza doing some death growls on the title track. What do you think about Stronger Than Death, Josh? Kind of like what you alluded to in the intro there. Stronger Than Death is kind of where Black Label started to form its real sound. Definitely heavier. He also started developing the little, I hate to use the word whiny, but you know he does that Ozzy voice kind of, the Zach Ozzy hybrid voice that he does sometimes that I'm honestly not very crazy about. I prefer him to sing in his natural singing voice because Zach has a gorgeous singing voice. I don't know why he would ever not want to do that. But I always felt like as a young Ozzy freak that that was him thinking this would be a good Ozzy track. So if I sing it in an Ozzy style, it may fit. Phony smiles and fake hellos, always like that, that cool guitar riff intro. 13 Years of Grief, which is, to me, personifies what Black Label Society is. I fucking love that song. On this track, you know, Zach said he was watching television, and it was one of those daytime talk shows like Sally Jesse or Geraldo or one of those fucking shows that was on back in the, you know, the, the late 90s that we also home and watched after school or whatever, right? And it was about this little punk kid, you know, you little fucking punk kid, and it was about these out-of-control 13-year-olds. And Zach said he was watching that, and his only thought was, is, God, these poor parents, like, this would be fucking awful. All, all they've ever had is 13 years of grief from that little shit. Bam, there you go. 13 years of grief. Classic Black Label song with some great lyrics. 
you know, real, that's kind of lyrics I like in my life. You know, I, I don't need anything too fancy. Totally solid album. You know, stronger, the, the title track, Stronger Than Death, is excellent. Definitely one of my favorites. How about you? Yeah, of course. All For You, also one of my favorite Black Label Society songs. That is definitely one where I hear it, and I'm just like, God, I wish that was an Ozzy song. It's got such a killer riff. I'm big on Super Terrorizer, too. When Every time that comes on, man, I just want to fucking destroy something. I think it's a, one of his heaviest, greatest tunes. Of course, I love Just Killing Time, another beautiful song. I would have to say, I think, for me, some of these early songs, this one in particular, and the next one, truthfully, sounds like a drum machine. Phil, Filthy plays the drums on this one, and but it does sound a little bit like a drum machine to me. What do you think? Do you think that's real drums? I think... One thing about a lot of these Black Label Society albums is there's some drum machine work going on. And I hate to be that way, but it's always turned me off a little bit. I try so hard to to ignore drum machines, but they typically drive me crazy if they're basic enough that you can spot it you know, a mile away. But yeah, I, I think there's definitely some drum machine work going on. Uh, Super Terrorizer that you mentioned, that's another one that I didn't mention. That, yeah, I, I'm with you. I really love that one. Kick-ass, man. So good live. Such great live tracks. Absolutely. And I would be remiss to mention I opened for Zach on this tour which is definitely one of my career highlights as a musician. He was awesome. Just an amazing guy. Hung out with us for a while and opening for Zach Wilde. How much better can it be for me? So it was amazing. Totally jealous. You know, uh, I've played some shows in my time and, you know, we'll probably get more into it. Open for Jakey Lee. That's one thing that me and you kind of uh, brag on each other for. You know, you had your moment with Zach and I had mine with Jakey Lee. I know what you mean, though, man. You're you're on that stage and you're just saying, gosh, I'm opening for one of my biggest fucking idols in the world right now. And it's definitely a surreal feeling to be on that bill and just to see the, the handbills and stuff with your name on it with them and things. So I know that was definitely a massive moment for you. And the tour I was talking about earlier that I saw Zach on was the same tour, Stronger Than Death tour. So I, I, I saw Zach on that tour also. It was fucking epic, man. I'm excited for you that you guys got to be a part of that because it's definitely cool. Yeah, thanks, man. It was amazing. And he was a gentleman. We drank a couple of beers together uh, back in the day. And, you know, we talked about football and wrestling and just shooting the shit. You know, we're both big New York Giants fans with me being originally from New York and Zach being Jersey. We talked about food, just a real great down to earth guy. And I couldn't uh, be happier about our experience together. That was before a lot of the Zach antics started also. So you probably got a little bit more of a, uh, like you said, a little bit more down to earth and easier to talk to, I guess is what I'm trying to say. A little more easier to talk to experience with him than what it may be like these days, which you, you, I've met Zach eh, four or five times. He's always chill though. When you meet him, he's he always really laid back and, you know, and chilled out. So that's definitely cool. So up next we have, of course, 1919 eternal, which was released on March the 5th, 2002. I remember being extremely uber excited about this one um because black label like you said was really hitting their niche i almost in my mind at the time viewed them as a modern day motorhead in that they had this massive underground following everyone's buying their shirts you know they've sold more shirts than they have albums and stuff like that and i remember everyone was starting to wear the big bls shirts they, they every time you went to a show you'd see them all over the place this is when they're really getting in stride the standout tracks for me on this one definitely are bleed for me demise of sanity my favorite is probably genocide junkies i love that song it's such good fucking energy man such a cool riff on an album that truly is loaded with cool riffs so uh, that one stands out but yeah 1919 eternal is definitely a uh, great album what's your thoughts on it yeah this is a great one for sure because a lot of these songs were demoed for down to earth which a lot of people might not realize so ozzy rejected these songs bleed for me Life, Birth, Blood, Doom, Demise of Sanity, 
a piano version of Bridge to Cross and another song called I'll Find the Way, which would be amazing to hear. But Ozzy said at that time that it sounded too black label and didn't use those songs for Down to Earth, which fucking blows my mind. Bleed for Me, Demise of Sanity and Bridge to Cross. Can you imagine Ozzy melodies on those songs, Josh? Those would have been fucking fantastic. That and actual drums. Holy shit, it would have been amazing. The drums on Bleed For Me drive me nuts. I love that song so much. Actually, Bleed For Me is from the demo, and Christian Ware does the drums on that one, which is why they don't sound the greatest, not because of Christian, of course, just because they were a demo session, where Craig Noonanmacher plays the drums on most of everything else except for Bleed For Me, Life, Birth, Blood, Doom, and Demise of Sanity, which were the three of the ones that they were demoing for Ozzy. And of course, Robert Trujillo plays bass on this record uh, on Demise of Sanity and Life, Birth, Blood, Doom. So you're telling me right now that the drums on those tracks are not drum machine? I think it's all drum machine. 100% all drum machine. I ain't buying that bullshit for a second. So, yeah, you know, I, I totally, I do see where Ozzy's coming from. I mean, Bleed for Me, Demise of Sanity, they are definitely black label style. But that said, of course, we all would have loved to have heard what he would have done with them. You know, Zach's versions of those songs end up being awesome. I mean, there's definitely some of the, of the standout tracks on this album. You know, when I first got it, Bleed For Me and Demise of Sanity were the two. Like I said, as I later on progressed more into Graveyard Disciples and Genocide Junkies. But um, I definitely would have liked to have heard Ozzy's versions of those. Yeah, no question. And quite honestly, the chorus of Bleed For Me sounds like an Ozzy melody. It really does. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some... Ozzy melody going on because you know Ozzy wrote a couple of melodies to these before he rejected them I'm almost positive there's a version of bleed for me out there with Ozzy melodies on it but I agree they do sound very black label society and maybe Ozzy was trying to not be so heavy in 2001 but there are some fucking heavy songs on down to earth I'd love to find out a little bit more about why they were specifically I mean we know they were rejected because they were too black label but I think there's probably a little bit more to the story I actually think this is a very deep record, so I love Lost Heaven, Refuse to Bow Down, Mass Murder Machine, but definitely Lost Heaven, classic Black Label Society song. There's no real throwaway tracks. I mean, you could probably do without Battering Ram if you had to. And I like Battering Ram. You know, it's okay, but I'm just saying compared to the others, even America the Beautiful, it's gorgeous, man. It was so cool he threw it on, of course, as a 9-11 tribute. Zach's father being a, a war veteran and stuff. So he dedicated the album to him, did America the Beautiful on there. So it's it's gorgeous. I got to get your opinion on Berserkers. I like that song, but I've always found it massively overrated among the fan base. What's your thoughts on Berserkers? I fucking love the riff on Berserkers. No, I love it. I love the breakdowns in it. It's For me, the, the melody is just okay, but I just think it's slamming musically. I think the riff is just larger than life. It's just such a heavy record that I think Berserkers is a great exclamation point on the way to end it. I just think it's really cool. It's a really groovy, groovy song. The groove is definitely there. It is more the melody that gets me also. Really cool to see Robert Trujillo playing bass on Demise of Sanity and Life, Birth, Blood, Doom. So obviously, it just goes to show you that they were definitely working those songs up for Ozzy. That's kind of how I take it also. Kind of similar to what I said a few weeks back about Joe Holmes in his Pharmacos album that he had written for Ozzy with Robert Trujillo. And he brought Rob back for his Pharmacos CD also to put those songs out because they had written them together. 
uh, it was really cool seeing Rob on tour with Black Label around this era, and and I thought he fucking completely smoked it for him. He's such a good bass player, man. Just such a, and it seems like such a cool damn dude. Uh, I remember on uh, the Osbournes. I know you wasn't a big fan. I I wasn't crazy about it either, but I still would catch myself watching it just to see Ozzy. Just even though it was sad half the time. But I remember there was an episode where Kelly had a friend named Robert, and they were sitting at dinner. And out of nowhere, Sharon says, Robert called. And I was just, Rob Trujillo. <laughs> you know, just so quick. Like, he lit up like a Christmas tree, you know, that maybe That's Robert so cool. Trujillo had called, you know. And, uh, and and Sharon's like, no, uh, Kelly's friend, Robert. And I was just kind of like, oh. <laughs> you know, he was so let down, you know. I just, I love, I watched, I didn't really enjoy that show, but I did enjoy moments like that. That was about the music or about the band and it was fun seeing those kind of things and uh trujillo's everywhere man and and like we said last week he's going to be on the new aussie album also he's helped co-write this and play bass on it so definitely fun seeing him with black label in this era and he seemed to really enjoy being on stage with zach uh, those those shows are pretty slamming no question absolutely and yes i did watch the first season of the osbournes and then i couldn't take it anymore and I just have never seen it. So definitely a dark period for me. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, next up we have the Blessed Hell Ride, April 22nd, 2003. Again, we are seeing Zach at a fucking breakneck pace releasing these Black Label Society records, one after another after another. And we're skipping records like live records, like Alcohol Fuel Brutality. So he's just been releasing like a madman. I think that what stands out about the Blessed Hell Ride is – He's really putting a few more mellower tracks on it. It's not just slamming front to back. So I think this is maybe more of a modern day Zach record for Black Label Society. Starts right here. And of course, I have to mention it features Ozzy on the slamming Stillborn. What's your thoughts, man? Stillborn. Love fucking Stillborn, man. Love it. Uh, it's, it was the perfect track to have Ozzy on. I wish Ozzy had a little bit more of a part in it. But that said... Great fucking single. It's to this day the most commercial song Zach's ever done with Black Label Society. I think it was the perfect fit to have Ozzy on that track. And, you know, it's funny because we mentioned for 1919 Eternal that Ozzy said he didn't want those tracks because they sounded too much like Black Label. But yet, when Ozzy heard the recordings for the Blessed Hell Ride, he asked Zach to be a part of it. He said, when are you going to ask me to be on, on your album? And he kind of invited himself to sing on this song. So, and and Zach, of course, was elated to have him on there because let's just be real. A, he's the godfather of one of his kids. B, he's fucking Ozzy. And C, it's going to sell the fuck out of some albums to have Ozzy on it, right? No question. uh, But Stillborn's a fucking, to me, is still the quintessential Black Label Society song. So, gotta love Stillborn. I mean, love it. But there's Funeral Bell, Destruction Overdrive. This was more of a riffy album for Zach Wilde, I thought, than the previous three. Uh, What's your thoughts on it? See, I actually think he gets a little bit more mellower here, and it's probably the songs I prefer. I mean, I love Stillborn, but I love uh, Blackened Waters, We Live No More, and Dead Meadow. I think this is a very, very strong backside of an album, and I think those songs are very overlooked. But let me tell you about the power of Ozzy really quick. Black Label Society, back in you know the first three albums we've discussed, were very consistent. They sold about... 69,000 albums, you know, 69, 68,000. They're all about the exact same. Ozzy joins on the Blessed Hell Ride, and it's his first charting album, and it's his biggest selling album by far, even though he has higher chart positions because of how crazy things are. But it sold 154,000 albums, way more than it doubled what he was typically selling because he had Ozzy on the uh, stillborn single. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take as well. Again, we have Craig Nunemacher on the drums. I think... Production-wise, 
This is his best sounding record up to this point. It is starting to sound a lot better produced than the first three, right? Yeah, production was definitely a step forward. No question about that. And uh, even the song, The Blessed Hell Ride, it's pretty good. Oh, fuck yeah, so I funny. love that one. Yeah. I, I think this is his mellowest <laughs> record to date. The title track is fucking brilliant. I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, yeah. It's so underrated, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song. Yeah, The Blessed Hell Ride's awesome. And kind of started a whole new trend for Zach, a standpoint of like, a way of life is the biker mentality with the leather and the skull caps and all that. I feel like a lot of that started right here with this album and song, you know, the kind of the biker image kind of began right here. Absolutely. He was already doing the chapters and all that stuff before here, but definitely he's becoming more and more Zach. Like the pictures I have when we played together, he still looks a little bit more like the no more tears Zach, but by the blessed hell ride, he's modern day Zach. Good call. So up next, we have Hangover Music Volume 6, which is kind of awkward in our list because it's the fifth CD because we didn't do the live albums. And Zach obviously counted Alcohol Fuel Brutality Live in that listing. It was released on April 20th, 2004. Standout tracks for me on this one are definitely the slower tunes, which is kind of the whole point of the album. But I love like Stepping Stone, House of Doom, which is obviously a great song. I really love, 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 love. Damage is done. I think that is such a great ballad. Uh, Zach, man, Zach doesn't really get credit for his ballads. He can fucking whip up a ballad with the best of them, man. His, his melodies sometimes in those ballads really love him on a ballad. So uh, what's your standout thoughts on Hangover Music? Obviously, this is a throwback to the Book of Shadows era. It's all acoustic based for the most part. I'm a big sucker for Crazier High and Queen of Sorrow. I love the damage is done. Uh, you know, uh, otherwise, I think it's, it's a little bit of a step down compared to Book of Shadows for sure. The cool thing about this record, he's got a lot of guests on it. You know, we have John Tempesta plays drums on a song. James Lamenza plays a lot of bass on it. We got Mike Ionez who plays bass on Crazier High. John DeServio plays bass on it. So it's really cool that he came in and did a whole bunch of acoustic tracks with a bunch of guests. Really cool cover of A Wider Shade of Pale. Again, this one was a big drop-off. He sold 154000 with Blessed Hell Ride. This one came in at 24000 But that's really... listen. So listen to this, how crazy this is, Josh. 2003, he sells 154,000 records, and it peaked at 50 on the charts. Hangover Music Volume 6, a year later, sells 24,000 copies, and it peaks at 40 on the charts. So we can obviously tell the year where record sales really started to plummet, and that was between 2003 and 2004. But overall, I think it's a solid release. I love his acoustic, mellow stuff. I'm a sucker for it, just like I am with Ozzy. I love his voice when he sings clean. Those sales number drops are staggering. Like I, I didn't realize it was that drastic a difference. Of course, like you said earlier, the Blessed Hell Ride, it definitely peaked up because Ozzy Osbourne was on the, on the album. But still... Drop down all the way to 24,000, but then chart where it did, that's totally mind-boggling. But like you said, it was a sign of the times. Downloading was definitely becoming a massive thing around this point. It took its toll probably, but you know, like you said, it's not Zach's best effort. This is the era for me where Black Label Society, as much as I love Zach, love Black Label, started becoming to where the albums as a whole typically aren't as good. There's really high highs and really low lows. Crazier High, excellent. Queen of Sorrow, excellent. Stepping Stone, excellent. House of Doom, excellent. Damage is Done, excellent. And then Wider Shade of Pale, excellent. But then the rest of the tracks, to me, are way the fuck below those. 
Like there's no, you know, these are your best ones and it veers down to the worst. It's like a drop off. It's like there's these five or six are excellent. Pal, Cliff, here's the other ones. Some of these are, I hate to say it, some of them are flat bad, in my opinion. But the ones that are good, I fucking love. So it was kind of a tone of things to come for Black Label in a lot of fans' eyes, I believe. But yeah, all in all, definitely has some classics. I mean, House of Doom. When that guitar comes in so big on that fucking chorus, man, fuck, that's bad as fuck. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about one. that shit. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. And the new acoustic version of that is really cool that he put out recently. So, uh, but yeah, all in all, a, a neat little thing about this album, too, for the listeners who may not have noticed before, but his cover of A Wider Shade of Pale, Ozzy's favorite song, by the way, of all time. Yeah, great point. Yeah, that is definitely not by accident, right? Not by accident. And uh, as a matter of fact, Ozzy considered doing it on Undercover, but they decided not to when Zach had already released it for Hangover Music. But Which would have been neat, amazing. I would love to hear Ozzy try to sing that song, dude. It'd, be, it'd just be phenomenal. But a neat little fun fact about that track, it doesn't have drums, but they did have drums in their headphones for timing. So they recorded drums, but they weren't going to use the drums. And of course, that the song doesn't have drums. But if you listen close, you can hear the drums coming from the headphone into the microphone when Zach was cutting his his other tracks. So there's a little bit of drums in there, but not really. But there are. I always hear that when I hear that song. I can't not hear it, you know, hear those drums in there. So, right. But that said, I do fucking love that cover of that song. And Zach definitely nailed it. He can sing like a motherfucker when he wants to. Yeah. A couple other tidbits, too. The song No Other was actually recorded for the Blessed Hell Ride and held back for this record. This was his last release for Spitfire Records, and they purposely did not promote the record, which also hurt their album sales. I don't want to put it all on the album itself, but it received very little promotion from the label because they knew Zach was gone after this release. I think Spitfire Records wound up going under, if I'm not mistaken. They did, and that's how Zach was able to buy his catalog back off of them. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. Well, you know, the production levels went up anyway. You know, once once he left Spitfire and he went on to record our next album, Mafia, which was with Artemis Records, I believe. That's correct. Artemis Records. Yep, Artemis Records. Uh, it was definitely a step up in production quality, I thought. So, Dan, do you want to lead us into uh, Mafia? Yeah. Mafia was released March 8th, 2005 on Artemis Records, a brand new label. And Zach is still on a tear. Absolute terror. He's released an album in every year since this band has started. Maybe multiple years with the live stuff. So it's shocking to me the pace he was writing and recording. I mean, this is like going back to the early 70s where, you know, or, or the early 80s where Sabbath and Ozzy were releasing records every year. Well, Ozzy only did it once, but, you know, definitely early Sabbath where they were releasing records. You know, bands like Creedence Clearwater in the late 60s were releasing two records a year. So I'm really shocked that zach was doing this so late on such a tear but it's a very popular record he's got the big hit in this river on here fire it up is another big hit suicide messiah is another big hit definitely a very groove oriented album some great riffs on here and definitely a much much better production we still have james lomenzo on bass craig nunamacher is still doing the drums here he's with zach a long time i don't think people realize I always think of Phil when I think of the drummer for Black Label Society, but Craig seems to be playing on more records. Definitely got Zach back on track with his sound and into the limelight. What about you, Josh? 
Craig was there for a long time, man. And I'm sure you know this, but I'll recount the story for listeners who may not be aware. But when Filthy was playing drums for Black Label, he and Zach got into a verbal argument on stage one night I in it was Indiana. A fight actually it was not did it not come to blows. It may have came to blows. I don't know that for sure. But either way, an ugly dispute on stage. Yeah. To where Phil literally gets up and says, "Fuck this, I'm out," and leaves. And Craig was playing drums for Crowbar, and Craig filled in to finish the tour with Zach, and ended up being on like with Zach for the next like six, seven years or some shit. Like he ended up being a perfect fit for the band. I've got a bootleg recording of the show where the blow up happened, and it's interesting because Filthy is playing like shit, man. Those songs were so slow; it is awful. Have you ever heard it? I have not heard it actually, which would be really interesting to hear. I met Phil too when I met Zach, and Phil is actually really chill and cool too. So it's amazing, couple of years, how relationships can deteriorate. For sure. I don't know who was right or wrong in the process of the argument and what was going on between those two, but I do know on that night in Indiana, Phil was playing those songs like shit. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. I think he only did like five songs or something before they cut it off. It was it was awful. I had to send you a copy of that recording. Fans, I'm sure it's out there on YouTube somewhere if you want to dig it up. But Craig was definitely with the band for a long time. But as far as Mafia goes, I really like this one also. Like you said, much better production. Fire It Up is a complete fucking Black Label classic for me. Love that song. The perfect album opener for Black Label Society in my eyes. I love the fucking intro leading up to it. Then when it actually kicks in with the band, it's, that's slamming as fuck. And that's what I want from Zach Wilde right there. You picture the kabuki curtain dropping. Bam, there's the band. Smoke's going up on each side of the stage. I fucking love Fired Up, man. It's possibly one of my top three or four favorite Black Label songs in general. I fucking love that song. Suicide Messiah, as you said, massive hit. In This River, you know, I always find it odd. He dedicates that song to Dimebag Daryl, and so many fans want to believe it was written about Dimebag's passing, but really, the song was written and done before Dimebag passed away. Yep, it sure was. Just one of those things where he later tributed it to him, but it really wasn't about him in, in its early process. Been a Long Time is a song that I always kind of sing that as Zach Wilde's version of War Pigs a little with, you know, da-da, and then, you know, the vocals. That said... Kind of like Hangover music, the bottom half for me is really bad. There's a few songs in this album that I don't like very much at all. Death March may be the worst Black Label Society song he's ever recorded. Yeah, it's not great, that's for sure. I didn't want to say that when I was talking about it, but I do not think this is a very deep record. Not at all. You Must Be Blind is another. Oh my gosh. The highs are so high for this record. There's like five bona fide fucking great black label society songs then the others are just kind of not all in all i do like the album i just wish he had put more time into making the album complete and really giving us a set of 15 tracks i'd rather had 10 great tracks i think that's a great point he is bloated sometimes when his songwriting on the black label society records and this record would have definitely been much better if it was concise and tight you know when you're writing once a year for all these records you don't really need 15 songs i know that's what technology calls for but to your point if you would have made this a tight 10 song record i think it would have been much higher on my list no question as a tight 10 song record it's in the upper tier there's a lot of shitty songs on that album that i just can't overlook so therefore it's not quite in the upper tier uh, and one last thing about Mafia before we move on. 
like you said, uh, Spitfire Records did not promote Hangover music at all, and the sales plummeted. Mafia was a definite uptick in promotion. The promotion was fucking everywhere. You couldn't pick up a guitar magazine or a hard rock magazine without seeing Mafia on that fucking thing somewhere. So the promotion definitely went up, as did the album sales. I think to this day, it's actually sold over 250,000 copies. So the album has definitely been one of his better selling albums overall. In the U.S., it sold 45,000 copies, and it did peak at 15 on the chart. So up until this point, it is his highest charting album, for sure. And it doubled sales over what Hangover Music Volume Volume 6 did. So it definitely was much better promoted, much better received by his fans. All right, up next is Shot to Hell, September 12th, 2006. So again, about a year and a half after Mafia. And this one is now on Roadrunner Records. I believe this production is fucking amazing. Michael Beanhorn came in from Osmosis and was the executive producer on this record. I think this is the most underrated record of his career. He's got brilliant heavy songs like Concrete Jungle, Black Mass Reverends, Blacked Out World, New Religion. Fuck, I love New Religion. And then I think it has his best mellow tracks since Book of Shadows with The Last Goodbye, Blood is Thicker Than Water, Lead Me to Your Door, which I always think of the Beatles on The Long and Winding Road, which is, I am assuming, where he got that title from. Gorgeous song. 13 songs. It's only 44 minutes. All of the songs range about three minutes in length. The longest track here is four minutes, and that's The Last Goodbye, another beautiful song. I absolutely adore this record. I got to be honest. When this album came out, I was completely disappointed. I was so let down. Zach's first release from Roadrunner Records, you know, it may not mean much to people these days. In the 90s and 2000s, the 80s and 70s, record labels mattered. Roadrunner was definitely the hot ticket amongst hard rock bands and metal bands in this era. So Zach signed with Roadrunner, I fully expected his most slamming record yet. And in return, what we got was kind of a ballad fest. And at the time, I didn't appreciate that a whole lot. I thought Concrete Jungle was okay. You know, that was the lead single. Black Mass Reverends was okay. You know, there's some stuff here that I liked, but I truly never appreciated this album until our good friend Dan Drago about two years ago said, motherfucker, you got to go listen to this album more because it's fucking great. And I put it on and it's as if I'd never heard it before. Because honestly, it was easily my least listened to Black Label Society album. And hearing it with fresh ears and as a more mature person, I guess being older a little bit and just appreciating it for what it was. I wasn't let down now that it wasn't heavy. I already knew it wasn't heavy at this point. And after re-listening to it, this is a great fucking album. And I'm going to go with you and say probably his most underrated record also. I, I will agree with you with that. Now, that said, I'll, I'll give you a sneak peek of my list. It's not crazy high. I'm not saying all of a sudden it's my favorite Black Label record. I'm not saying that at all. But it's definitely better than I gave it credit for. I was one of those people also that kind of wrote it off. I remember The Last Goodbye. I fucking loved that song from day one. Now, that was the one song for me that I was always like, man, it's got this one really great ballad. Other than that, I really, you know, the singles are okay. This wasn't all about it, but when you listen through this album as a whole now, it is definitely a, a well-written record and probably is really more the record that he wanted Hangover Music to be in a lot of ways. Because it is a little more uh, a little more chilled, but it's a solid, solid album. And I definitely appreciate you for, uh, much like you said I did for you with Down to Earth in the yeah. last episode, I appreciate you 
opening my eyes to this one and saying, man, you got to listen just a little closer. That album's better than you give it credit for. To be honest, even the album cover turned me off a little with the nuns shooting pool. I don't know. I was just, eh, you know. Damn it. You, but, that's exactly where I was going to go, Josh. I swear <laughs> to God, it's a great point. I think it hurt the popularity of this album because it's a terrible album cover. And that really matters, especially in this time frame. It's a terrible album cover. I agree with you a thousand percent, dude. It's a great fucking point. It's so funny that we're saying this right now. As much as me and Dan talk about this shit, I don't know if that we've ever discussed the album cover being nope. shitty before. So that's kind of funny. But yeah, it just it turned me off. The non-haviness turned me off. I was expecting this, like I said, a slamming Roadrunner Records album. But like I said, listening back to it now, definitely a uh, a solid release. And how did it do uh, in the charts? So it was not nearly as popular as Mafia. So it sold 32,000, peaked at 21 on the U.S. album charts. It was popular, though, in uh, Australia, where it, charted, it was his first Black Label Society album to chart in Australia and in Switzerland. So it definitely was popular in some parts of the world, but definitely in America, it is not as popular, which shocks me because now we're on Roadrunner, which is a much bigger label than Artemis. I think the material is fantastic. I believe Michael Beanhorn being on the record is what makes it that much better because I think it's kind of alluding to what I talked about earlier with Andrew Watt is... Michael Beanhorn is going to make Zach release the better songs because that's what he's known for. It's what he did with Osmosis. He picked some great songs on that record, and I believe he definitely put a filter on for Zach to tell him, hey, we need quality songs if I'm involved. He's definitely known to be someone that pushes you hard and isn't afraid to tell you how he thinks it should sound. Correct me if I'm wrong. My memory can be foggy sometimes as I get into my 40s now. Didn't Zach have a real issue with the promotion from Roadrunner Records? He felt like they didn't promote this album properly. Yeah, I can't recall that. I know he was pissed off with Spitfire Records, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it did not definitely didn't hit the uh, peaks that everybody was expecting with him signing to Roadrunner. And I feel like there was a falling out there that he felt like they kind of dropped the ball on the promotion for the album. And, yeah, it, uh, it was a one and done. He's done. That's After why he moved record. on. Yeah, he's done. That brings us to Order the Black, released on August the 10th, 2010. I'm a massive fan of this one. It was released through E1 Music, who Zach Steele is with E1 Music. Yeah. Uh, it was released through Roadrunner over in Europe, which is kind of awkward, but maybe E1 just wasn't quite that global yet. Order of the Black Man, great album to me. Uh, Crazy Horse, Overlord, Parade of the Dead. This album definitely hits some highs. It definitely hits, it kind of hits all four corners for me. It has some slamming singles, has some ballads from track one through track 13. I really like this album. And Crazy Horse was just completely slamming coming out of the gate. So uh, I'm definitely a big fan of this one. What's your thoughts on uh, Order of the Black? Well, this is interesting because it came out the same year Scream did, right? And so the back of my mind, I hate to compare the records because, you know, there's nothing to compare here. But when I listened to this album, I was definitely in the back of my mind going, oh, I wish that was an Ozzy song. I could, oh, that could have been on Scream. So there's definitely a little bit of that. I thought it was kind of cool that Ozzy had a song called Time on Scream. And then Zach also released Time Waits for No One, which is my favorite song on this record. I just lost my grandma, who I was very close with. And that song just, it makes me tear up till this day. When I hear it. So it's a very, very special song for me. One of my favorites in his whole catalog. I fucking love Overlord. You know, we're starting to get into those crazy, weird Zach Wilde videos. Overlord's a crazy ass video. Pray to the Dead is excellent. Godspeed Hellbound kind of sounds like something off of Stronger Than Death. I think there's a very strong record as well. And this is the longest gap in his career, you know, almost four years between records, which is a fucking lifetime 
for Black Label Society. Time Waits for No One has brought me to Crocodile Tears on more than one occasion. That song is fucking powerful, man. That is a powerful song. Definitely takes me back to an era. Also, January is another great ballad on that album, which I think is a really strong song. But I'm like you. I, I love Overlord. Man, that song is so fun. And like you said, that, mental, that video is so quirky and awkward. I loved it because one thing about this album that I love is Will Hunt is on drums on this record from Evanescence. Will Hunt is a monster, and he's so groovy. And but I loved on the music video for Overlord when it said, Will Hunt won't fish. So stupid, but I just thought it was so funny, man. I love that. You know, it's such a great release. But yeah, definitely enjoyed this one. It's excellent. And a couple of cool things. This one sold over 64000 in the U.S., double of Shot to Hell. And this is four years later where the market was even deteriorating even more. It's his highest record charting to date. It charted at number four on the Billboard charts, which is really fucking high. I mean, this album really, really did well for Zach. And of course, I can't not mention his cover of Junior's Eyes, which is a bonus track that I actually really dig. He definitely makes it his own while he keeps the integrity of the original. Zach made the comment one time that he let Ozzy hear that cover and that Ozzy did not dig it, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. That I think Zach said something to the effect of Ozzy asking what kind of drugs he had been using or something goofy like that. Like Ozzy wasn't really a fan of it. So, yeah. Obviously, between Shot to Hell and Order of the Black, he wrote and recorded and toured with Ozzy for Black Rain, which, you know, we've talked to a lot about on the last episode. And personally, I wish he would have held a couple of these Order of the Black songs back if he had them at the time, because I think some of the riffs are better on Order of the Black than they are on Black Rain, if I'm being completely honest. Not the songs, the riffs. No question about that. Order of the Black is slamming. I would love to have heard Ozzy on that whole entire record, to be honest with you. Like, Agreed. It's, it's a great fucking album, and hearing Ozzy on some of those songs would have been absolutely phenomenal. I'd take that any day of the week, especially over Black Rain. There's no debate that going on there, so no question. And I think that's one of the things that disappoints me the most with Black Rain is, and I don't think he does it for Black Label Society very much either. I don't think Zach does much prep work. I think he literally goes to the studio, turns, hits the record button, and just starts playing. I could hear that on Black Rain. I don't feel like No Rest for the Wicked. Those riffs you could tell he's been working on. He probably started writing them when he was younger. Definitely the No More Tears stuff. I think he's so confident in his ability, which he has every right to be. He's a fucking genius. But I think he doesn't take the time sometimes to really write these songs. I think he just goes with the flow. Turn on the machine and let's fucking go. And we have 30 songs in the can or 25 songs in the can for this one. It's slamming. Hits record. Let's it rip. Don't get me wrong. Totally impressive that he can do that. I've heard him say we've written and recorded three or four songs like in one or two days or whatever. Like totally impressive that he can pull those off. But like you said, sometimes putting a little more thought and energy into them can go a long way. I do like that. Yeah, with Order of the Black, he brought the band vibe back in with JD and Will Hunt, though, because it really goes a long way to me to have those guys involved a little bit more than what he had on some of the other albums, where it's typically Zach all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. This definitely feels like a album vibe, for sure. And I kind of, even though it was a four-year break, next up is Catacombs of the Black Vatican. I feel like they're kind of sister records. I know that uh, Will Hunt is no longer there. Chad Zaliga is playing drums on it, but I feel like Catacombs of the Black Vatican and Order of the Black are, are kind of sister albums. This was released April 7th, 2014. Again, a very positive sales album for Zach. It charted at number five on the Billboard charts. It sold 80,000. So 
it actually sold more than Order of the Black. Two very, very strong singles, My Dying Time and Angel of Mercy. And I'm going to go off on Angel of Mercy here. I think it's one of his most beautiful songs. Definitely a wonderful melody, wonderful lyrics. Fucking love that song. Very, very strong album. I'm also in love with Shades of Grey. Kind of a throwback to Otis Redding, that style of song. Very, very underrated. Another beautiful ballad. Some great heavy songs, Believe. Great melody. Damn the Flood is great. Very, very, very solid record. I feel like Order of the Black and Catacombs of the uh, the Black Vatican are both definite classic Black Label Society records. Yeah, no question about it. I remember when this album came out, it hit really well with everybody. I mean, I remember talking to all my Black Label friends, and everyone really liked this album, including me. It's, again, you know, I mentioned earlier that so many of his albums are have really high highs and really low lows. I feel like this one, it doesn't have massively high highs. I'm kind of like you. I do love Angel of Mercy a lot. That was always a standout for me. Uh, it's definitely Shades of Grey. I, I agree. Those are great songs. But it doesn't have the high highs of like fire it up like like Mafia had. Not super great for me. Not definitely not bad. Like consistently good, but definitely continuing on with a good consistent level of songwriting again. That all the songs are kind of on the same par. There's no real trash dump songs that some of the earlier albums before this one did have. Like I said earlier, there's two or three there that literally had four or five songs that I would just have deleted if I was him. Catacombs is definitely solid, and you can listen through it from start to finish and not want to pass any tracks. Yeah, that's a great description on it. I do think it's definitely overall a very complete record. I absolutely think you're spot on. That brings us to Zach's latest release until we get the new album coming out later this year, which is Grimmest Hits, released January 19th, 2018. Grimmest Hits, the lead single was Room of Nightmares. And matter of fact, the only single from the album was Room of Nightmares. I remember being stuck on an airplane and they had released Room of Nightmares streaming and I couldn't listen to it on the plane because, you know, the, there's no... Uh, I didn't have it downloaded. It, it had just come out. Like I knew it was coming out at this certain time or whatever. And I couldn't wait to land and hear this damn song, Room of Nightmares. And we finally land and everybody turns their phones back on and all that kind of shit. And I remember hearing it and being pretty let down. It's just, it never was a song that it really has caught on with me. I don't hate it. But just for a lead single, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the lead single. Like, so disappointing for me. The album itself is not an album that has stuck with me real well songs aren't as memorable for me so I, sometimes i don't even know what the song is like i'll look down and it'll say grimmest hits zach wild and it'll say 11 real and i'm like damn that song's fucking awesome like i forgot that i liked that song i really liked seasons of falter good cool riff on that one good groove the standout track for me overall though was the day that heaven had gone away which is clearly zach's take on the wind cries mary by Jimi hendrix right beautiful song love his guitar playing i think that's Zach's most tasteful guitar playing in many, many years from a standpoint of clean tone, picking. You know, he's not just shredding all the time like he, like he tends to do sometimes. This one, he just really methodically wrote this beautiful song, beautiful guitar solos in the song. I really enjoyed that one. It was definitely the standout track for me. Yeah, for sure. I think you're spot on again, dude. I th we're, it's just amazing to me how similar we are. First of all, I'm going to start with this. I hate the album title. 
Grimmest Hits is the worst album title he could have come up with. Most people, I'm sure, thought it was a fucking greatest hits record. I don't know what he was thinking. It just doesn't work for me. But I'm a huge Black Label Society fan. Like, you know, obviously not to the levels of Ozzy and Sabbath, but one of my all-time favorite bands, right? And I barely know this record. It just did not resonate with me at all. I like Trampled Down Below. I like Seasons of Falter. And I really like The Day That Heaven Gone Away. But I, lo- I barely know any of these songs. Like Bury Your Sorrow, Nothing Left to Say, Illusions of Peace. I couldn't tell you anything about this record. And it just did not resonate with me at all. I could tell you this, and I mean this, Set You Free is way better than anything on this record. By far. And no I'm question. super, super excited about the new record. But for some reason, Grimmest Hits just did not resonate with me at all. First impressions last a lifetime, right? You hear Room of Nightmares as the lead single. Didn't you hear the album title, Grimmest Hits? Like you said, shitty as hell. That was dumb as fuck. I love Zach. That was dumb. That would have been an excellent album title for a greatest hits record. Just save it for a greatest hits album. I don't know why you felt the need to put it on a new studio album. That was just so damn stupid. And third, the fucking album cover sucked too. You get a green cover with the black little fucking Grim Reaper who's like tiny on the cover too. Like he's not even really real big up close or anything. He's kind of in the back with the fucking. That was shitty. It all reeked of shitty from the start. And I hate to say it, it made me not give the album the chance I probably should have given it because, like you said, I these songs come up I don't even recognize these song titles. And I'm I'm not that way with any other album in his career. But if I let them play through when they come up on my random player, I end up usually liking it more than I remember liking it. You know what I'm saying? A Love Unreal was on the other day, and that's a fucking good song. And I totally didn't remember it hardly at all. It's weird. We're both totally on the same level with this album. It just didn't click. And so much of it comes from that first impression, I believe. And especially coming after Catacombs, which is a really good record. I like Catacombs a whole lot. Agreed. And it's strange how far the album fell from a standpoint of of grabbing my attention. I just can't explain it. And the mind-boggling thing to me is there's four years between the records. So plenty of time to write the material. So just definitely shocking that this one didn't resonate with me at all. All right, so that brings us to our list. I'm super excited. Obviously, again, Josh does not know mine and I do not know his. We're going to present them to you now in order from least liked to our favorites, Black Label Society's catalog. Number 10 for me, I don't think it's a surprise after the intro it got a second ago, is Grimmest Hits. Like we said, it just doesn't click. Sorry. My number 10 is Grimmest Hits. We are on the exact same page. It is my least liked Black Label Society record. Number 9 for me is Hangover Music. I do like some of the high highs. Those low lows are just too low. There's a song called Val's Song that I find awful. And my wife's name is Val. I wish I could serenade her with that song, but unfortunately I can't. Number nine for me, Hangover Music. (laughs) Dude, I fucking love that. We got to keep that. It's brilliant. It's so true. That is a terrible song. I agree. All right. My number nine is hangover music me and you are seeing it exactly the same the only reason i put this higher than uh, grimmest hits is because i do love a couple of songs on here that we had discussed earlier so it gets the nod just a smidge number eight for me at this point is catacombs of the black vatican it kind of shocks me a little that i have this one so low because i do truly love this album it's strong but for some reason when i compare it to the others it lacks the star power 
All right. So this is where our list, I think, is going to start changing quite radically. I think we're going to have a couple of the top ones the same. And obviously the two bottom ones we had the same. But my number eight is actually Mafia. I don't think it's a complete album at all. It's got three or four songs that I fucking love that we mentioned. But the back half of Mafia is rather uninspiring to me. So it finds itself at number eight on my list. I get it, man. I do. The the bottom half is just too bottom. <laughs> if the, the floor falls out, I totally get it. And number seven for me is Shot to Hell. I got to be honest. If we'd have done this same thing two years ago, Shot to Hell would have been, I don't know if I'd have put it at Grimace Hits level, but it would have been nine or ten. Thank you for helping me see the light a little bit with this album and giving it a re-listen because it's definitely gained a few spots in my Black Label fandom. Yeah, I'm glad to see that I inspired you to enjoy it because it is a brilliant record. Anybody out there that doesn't love Shot to Hell, just give it another shot. It's some of his best songwriting. So my number seven is actually, this is my shock. You know, Catacombs of the Black Vatican was your shock. I love this record, but I was shocked to find it number seventh on my list. And that is the debut. Sonic Brew comes in at number seven. Again, I super, super high highs. But for me, it has a couple of songs that are just still a little bit too much Southern rock. And he hasn't quite found his sound on it. It does contain my favorite Black Label Society song. But overall, as a record, I have Sonic Brew at number seven. Number six for me is Mafia. The bottom half falls out. But motherfucker, man, that top half is so damn good. Oh, fucking love it. Mafia. Brings the energy for me, those top half. So there we go. Number six, Mafia. All right. So my number six is when I now start considering the middle tier of Black Label Society. Well, that actually was Sonic Brew. But this would be Order of the Black is my number six. All of these from here on out, I fucking love. They're all amazing. I absolutely have nothing wrong with this record. I think it's a brilliant release. Just right now, it's the sixth best. I think the five I have above it are just a tad bit more complete. From six on up is when they start getting really good, what we want to hear from Zach and Black Label. Number five for me is Sonic Brew. So we're not too far off on that. I do love Sonic Brew. No shame of being number five on this list. So number five for me is Sonic Brew. Yeah, my number five is the sister album, Catacombs of the Black Vatican. I like it just a smidge better than Order of the Black. They're very, very close. Time Waits for No One is beautiful. For me, Angel of Mercy is beautiful on this one. Overall, I just think it's a... See, I actually think it's a little bit more full of a record. There is definitely no song I don't love off this record. And I think it's very, very strong front to back. I love Catacombs of the Black Vatican. But any day I could put either one. Five and six can change any day of the week for me. But right now, today, Catacombs of the Black Vatican is my number five. And I think Zach was in a great space when he was writing these two records. Like you said, front to back is complete record strong all the way through. Number four for me is what I, it's weird. Cause when I think black label society in my head, this is kind of the album that comes to mind, even though it's not my favorite album. When I think black label, I think you can't kill what's stronger than death. It was the album that, like we said earlier, set the tone for what the future would be for black label society. It's really when it really started coming together, great songs to go with it. Number four, stronger than death. I am on your page. My number four is Stronger Than Death as well. So these top four are clearly my four favorite Black Label Society records. Stronger Than Death, I think, is his heaviest record. It's just fucking brutal from front to back. I mean, he's got a couple of ballads on here, but I definitely think this is the album that, like you said earlier, where Zach found the Black Label Society sound. Definitely number four, Stronger Than Death. All right. That brings us to the top three. 
This is when the shit starts getting real, right? Number three for me would be the Blessed Hell Ride. Solid album all the way through. Of course, having Ozzy on there, epic for all of us. A solid record, man. And like we said, it kind of began a whole new era of Black Label also, of the biker era of Black Label. It really cemented what Stronger Than Death and 1919 Eternal had laid down in in the sound of what they were going to be going forward. A solid album all the way through, The Blessed Hell Ride. My number three is also The Blessed Hell Ride. I think Zach is really on fire from a songwriting standpoint. He's obviously writing for Ozzy on a lot of these tracks. And some of these ballads are beautiful. Black and Waters, We Live No More, Dead Meadow, Destruction Overdrive. I don't know if I mentioned that one earlier. Great, great headbanger. But I think the songwriting quality is a little better here. You could tell Zach is definitely upping his game on The Blessed Hell Ride. Love Destruction Overdrive. Yeah, I agree. I think he put a little more effort into this one than probably about any album on the list, to be honest with you. He definitely pushed this one harder from a songwriting standpoint. All right, All right that, brings, Let's that go. brings us to the top two. My number two is 1919 Eternal. Love this album. Came out at a very pivotal point in my life when I was actually starting my own band and starting to, to do things like that. Very influential for me as a guitar player. Graveyard Disciples and some of those riffs, man. Dun, 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 dun. It's just fucking badass, dude. Badass. I love it. 1919 Eternal, man. It's it's what I want in a Black Label album. It's uh, all you can ask for. Solid album. Well, my number two is Shot to Hell. I absolutely adore this record, if you couldn't tell from when we talked about it. I think it's the hidden gem in his collection. Again, the production is outstanding. I think the songwriting is, again, brought to the forefront with Michael Beanhorn. Front to back, there's not a song I skip on this one or the next one. I think they're his two strongest records. And I think this is what I want in a Black Label Society record, which is some songs that slam, like Black Mass Reverence, and other songs that are absolutely gorgeous, like The Last Goodbye. So I got to admit, I'm totally shocked that wasn't your number one. I thought for sure Shot to Hell will be Dan Drago's number one Black Label Society album of all time. But clearly, it fell slightly short today on today's list. Tomorrow's list, it probably would be number one, right? It could be. (laughs) There's no question. Like last (laughs) week, there are days where Nightmare is my number one over onto the graveyard. But these are clearly my two favorite Aussie 21st century songs. And these will be my two clearly favorite Black Label Society albums. So for me, the number one greatest Black Label Society album of all time is Order of the Black. I fucking love this record. Like you said earlier, Time Waits for No One is just completely fucking epic. It has literally brought me to tears on numerous occasions. Crazy Horse, Overlord. It's just so fucking good from top to finish, man. Love this album. And I couldn't be happier with my selection. I I stand by this one. Whereas a lot of these could bounce back and forth i could definitely swap the blessed hell ride in 1919 eternal stuff like that for two and three but order the black is my favorite black label society album when i really think about it hard it's the one for me and i don't question it great choice i mean it's definitely you know it's fairly middle of the pack on my list but it was definitely in that era where it's a fucking brilliant record like once you hit seven and down six seven everything below that is fantastic most of his record and work is top notch front to back and Order the Black is a super, super fine selection. My number one is 1919 Eternal. You know, this one has really grew on me over the last three years. I loved it when it came out, but for some reason, this is the one I listen to all of the time. I think front to back, it's got the best selection of heavy material. There is not a song to skip on here. And again, it's got some wonderful 
ballads on it as well. But for me, 1919 Eternal is his best heavy material. Bleed for me, Lifeblood, Birth, Doom, Demise of Sanity, just fantastic record. I can't say enough about it. You know, the one knock on it is definitely the drum machine, but overall I can get by it because of Zach's guitar playing, wonderful solos. We haven't even talked about his lead playing this whole episode, which kind of goes to show you how much we love his songwriting. And I think this is definitely the album that he shines the most. So my number one today, 1919 Eternal. Stated absolutely perfectly. You know, in all honesty, I prefer Zach as a rhythm player over a lead player these days. I really like to hear his rhythm playing. That's kind of why I'm excited about the new Ozzy album, that he's going to be playing the rhythms on it. I'm really more of a fan of his rhythms than I am his leads anyway at this point. You're right. These albums are more about his songwriting, more about his singing, his melodies. I mean, Zach, like you said, or Mandy, the top seven down, you really can't go wrong. They're stellar fucking hard rock records. But yeah, 1919 Eternal is a solid choice, Dan. I love your choice at number one. It could have been number one on mine, not for my obsession with Order of the Black, but it's definitely one of Zach's best releases, so it totally deserves to be there. Good call. You know, the amazing thing is our lists were very similar. The big difference was my love of Shot to Hell and Order of the Black, obviously, is a little higher on your list, but I'm really surprised how close our lists really were. We were definitely closer all in all than I, than I thought we would be. But at the same time, your passion for Shot to Hell and my passion for Order of the Black kind of stood out as the major differences. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. And tomorrow, Shot to Hell could be my favorite. It's definitely, those are my two favorite records by him. But today I was in a little bit more of a metal mood. So 1919 Eternal wins the battle. All right, Dan, I guess that about wraps it up. Before we go, we do want to mention Bod's Mayhem Hour. Definitely give John the Bod a listen. He's had a little bit of a health scare recently, but he's getting back at it now. I know he's done some killer interviews here in the past few weeks that will be coming up shortly. Uh, also, the Deep Dive Network. You know, We're a member of a group of podcasters called the Deep Dive Network that all focus on bands similar to what we do. You know, and they deep dive into their albums and songs and members just like we do on this podcast. And there's definitely some quality material there. So go check out the Deep Dive Network podcasting Twitter, Facebook page, whatever it may be. Also, please remember November 26th, 2021 is the brand new Black Label Society album, Doom Crew Incorporated. We are super excited to hear it. It's what spawned us and inspired us to do this broadcast tonight. And again, as always, follow us on social media. Please, please, please put your list out there. What's your favorite Black Label Society record? Which one do you think he drops the ball a little bit on? We'd love to see your lists. And please let us know if there's any topics you want us to discuss going forward. We're definitely open to hearing all ideas. All right, guys. With that said, we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, keep it heavy. Incoming! I'm back whenever you are. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry about that, dude. I really had to piss. I might be our drop. Just that whole, sorry, dude. I really had to piss. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying.